Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today you'll meet our guest, actor, writer, and director, Wade Elaine Marcus. Before we dive in, I wanted to tell you about Patreon. That's a website that allows you to support your favorite independent content like this show. And for as little as a dollar a month, you're part of the Stacks Pack. You earn awesome perks like our virtual book club, you get inside info on the show, and you get to rest easy knowing that you're helping make the Stacks a reality. So go check out the Stacks Pack at patreon.com slash the Stacks. And a shout out to our newest member of the Stacks Pack, Edna Trujillo. If a monthly contribution isn't your thing, consider one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. To stay up to date on the stacks, make sure you're following us on social media and going to the website, thestackspodcast.com. Links to our social media accounts are all found in the show notes. You'll also find links to everything we talk about on today's show. If you shop through those links, the stacks will get a small commission and it comes at no extra cost to you big win-win. Now's a great time for you to rate and review this podcast. These reviews help us climb the charts and break through the algorithms to get new listeners. If you haven't yet, I would really appreciate you taking a moment to do so now. Our most recent review comes from Bugalin22. And they say, I've only listened to two episodes so far, but this is my new favorite thing to do after finishing a book. It helps me digest what I've read. It gives me new insights and different perspectives. Thank you for sharing this with the world. Thank you so much for writing this review. If you haven't yet, take a moment, go ahead, write a review. It means a ton. Okay, now it's time to talk with actor, director, and writer Wade Elaine Marcus. All right, y'all. Welcome to The Stacks. I am here today with actor, director, screenwriter, Wade Elaine Marcus. Wade can be found on TV's Insecure and Snowfall. He's also a writer for the TV show Grownish and his own film that he co-wrote, co-directed and stars in is called French Dirty and that's up on Netflix. So Wade, thanks for making time for us. Busiest man. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me. That's quite an intro, which, you know, it's a great intro, but honestly, like just tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a Los Angeles native from here, really actually just around the corner from where we're recording this podcast, Hollywood area, Hancock Park, everywhere between Hollywood and 
Olympic and Western and La Brea. You're giving literally our coordinates. Yeah, exactly. And we should say Wade's pup is here. Her name is Tika. So if you hear her whimpering a little bit or barking, that's just because the Stacks loves the animals. That's right. She just wants to get involved. Yeah, she wants to tell you about books she likes. I think she likes uh, Clifford. The big red dog. The big one. And Ferdinand the bull. Wait, you're the second person to say that book on the show. Oh, really? Yeah, someone else mentioned it. I'd never even heard of it. Oh, it's an amazing book. Yeah, apparently it's great. I, it's a kid's book. It's a kid's book, It's but it's kind of like uh, Gandhi, a little Dr. King-esque as far as passive resistance. Oh. Yeah. I like that. All right, so you're an L.A. native. Um, let's just dive in. Let's go right in. So you write on Grownish, which I'm super interested in because... I am really curious as someone, I know you from college, we were actors together, Mm -hmm. and now you've kind of transitioned or added a role. You haven't really transitioned out, but you've added a role. And I kind of want to know, what's it like for you being a writer and being an actor in that combination? I think the, the main thing is, is that, you know, as actors, we're constantly reading scripts. We are analyzing scripts, breaking them down. And so dialogue for us comes naturally. It's, we know... When we're, when we're learning something, if we learn it quickly, then we have, you know, that's usually tells us what good writing is. And so, you know, for me, it was definitely a situation of like, I would like to tell stories as opposed to just being part of stories that are being told. And, um, and so, you know, now all of a sudden here we are being able to tell those stories. It's one of those things where it's like, you just want to you want to be a part of it. And if you are able to kind of maneuver your way into that situation, you get there. You get in. So do you read scripts differently when depending on what hat you're wearing? So like if you were going to direct something, would you be reading that script different than if you were working on like the writing team or performing in it? Totally. Yeah. So if I'm breaking down a script as a director, I'm much more interested at least, you know, once I'm getting into it visually, how how am I moving the camera? What's the choreography, the ballet between the actors and um, and the space that we're in? When I'm writing, then that's more about what is the main conflict of this scene? What do each of these characters want and how are they going to get there? And how are we progressing the story with each beat? And as an actor, you're breaking it down for, for actions. What, what am I doing in this scene? What, what am I doing to this person? What, am I, what is the way that I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing? And when you read a script, because you do do all those things, are you always kind of thinking in all those places? Or can you separate like if you're on insecure and you get your script and you're like okay I'm acting in this scene are you also reading it being like oh this is what I would do or are you like okay I'm in my box today like actor box yeah I mean I think a bunch of those things are happening at once and you try to figure out like all right let me turn that off right now I mean you know insecure is an incredible show so I'm never like oh how would I do this differently but Yeah, I think you just have to figure out, like, how do I put what hat on in terms of where I'm at? Right, right. Are you reading, like, if you're acting in a role, or I guess any anything, if you're working on anything, are you reading things separate from the script, like, to supplement your work? And if so, does that vary depending on the role? Uh, As an actor, you like research? Sure, or as a director, or any of the things, like, as you do your research, does what you read change depending on what your hat is? Yes, 100%. Right now I am researching art heists. And so 
the book that I'm reading is literally The Art of the Heist. Mm. So it will it will completely run concurrently with the project that I'm working on. I mean, I think I'm always reading both for fun and for work at the same time. Right. There's there's really no time to just be reading something just just cuz and and then sometimes I'll find like if someone suggests a book to me and I'm reading it then it will be like, "Oh, how can I use this in my work?" Right. So you're constantly, I mean, you're just an imaginative, creative kind of person, so like Anything that you consume. I think it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, yeah so I, I feel that. Anything. And and for most of us, right, as artists, it's like whatever we see, whatever we um, come into contact with, that is in some ways going to influence what it is that we're doing, whether it's in our life or in our work or if those two things are overlapping. And are there any things that you've read recently that you're like, oh, my God, I would love to turn this into something for the screen or whatever? Adapt. Yeah. Like yeah. what? Can you tell us anything? For sure. I mean, you know, we've had conversations about Danzy Senna's books, mm-hmm. which I, I love very much. And so those stories specifically, and I'm sure there are other authors out there as well who are talking about what it's like to be mixed, but specifically not just the kind of like, oh, I'm living in a bifurcated world or something like that, but mm-hmm. like what does it feel like to look different than what you are? Right. Right. And, and you I think loved, she does a really yeah. great job of that. You love both of her. I love both of her books. I really loved New People. But I think overall, the way that she's able to kind of put the questions that she's asking into this really kind of taut, um, thriller-esque mm-hmm. you know, fashion right. is, is really exciting to me. Because she has this tone where it's like, okay, this is super fucked up. Can I say that? Right. Yeah, we swear all the time. Okay, Don't worry. <laughs> this is super fucked up and odd and absurd and hilarious all right. in the same breath. And I think that for me that I feel like that a lot of the time just moving through the world. Sure. You know, uh, new people is very in the book world. Mm-hmm. It's been very controversial. Oh yeah. Like some people really love it and some people like could not get with Maria. Yeah. Like could not get to the place where they could understand what was going on because Maria was doing some crazy shit. Like crazy she's shit. She's kooks. She's really, yeah. But like I personally really liked Maria. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with it. I was like with Dan- Danzy on that. But it's been like hearing from other people who have read it. Some people were just well, like. And it's so interesting. Like why why do they have to be with her. I mean, I guess that's the point of your protagonist. Right. But like, why is it that we feel like, oh, we have to like her? Well, I don't know if it's so much like her. I think that the question was more like, do I believe this? Like, Uh, am I with her in the sense that like, I can suspend my disbelief to go on this journey? Mm. And like some of the stuff, I mean, we, we can't give it away, but some of the stuff is just so wild that people were like, this isn't real. Like, this is too far. Right. Like the Danzy didn't do a good enough job, I guess, quote unquote, good enough job taking that. Of leading us. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't have that problem. Totally. And I think for stories in general, for me, I'm always looking for like, what is that thing that's right on the line where you're like, I, I'm not quite sure if I can be on this journey. Like that's right. the magic of it. Right? right. Like if you're, there's always going to be that moment when you're like, okay, this is it. Right. As, as a storyteller, you're like, they're either going to like come with me on this journey or they're mm-hmm. not. And right. whatever you create in that moment is what's super interesting. Yeah. Anything else besides Danzy's stuff that you have thought about or wanted to adapt or just things that you've read and been like, I would love to see this. I would probably say, um, 
Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. Mm. I mean, that that is a book that I read at a very young age, or not young, young, but like probably college. Okay. Um, and it was another one of those one another one of those books where you know because it's he he's I think he's credited with creating magical realism yeah or one of the early people. one of the early one of the early folks <laughs> and um, we're still getting squeaks people it's fine and he, as we mentioned there's a dog here so those squeaks are dogs they might just be part of it yeah it's, you get, you're, you're listeners you're love in dogs. you're in like you're really here with us exactly <laughs> there's a candle burning yeah there's it's, beautiful things happening. Um, Marquez, Hundred Years of Solitude. It was another book that I was like, "Oh, you you can do whatever you want." You know, you can really because the thing is with art for me, it's like, how can I create what I feel? How can I make someone sure. see or hear or h- however they take in art? How can they do that by understanding whatever it is that I'm feeling? Right. So it's not necessarily like a literal understanding. It well, could be an emotional understanding or like it's more, it just feels right. Exactly. It's more exciting for me if someone is doing something that can't happen in the real world. Mm. That like for Maria's case or whatever that you're like, I don't know, that wouldn't actually happen. Mm. But that might be how someone feels as they're moving through the world. Because so interesting. that is... You know, we 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 exist in these different places where it's like this is not what could actually happen, but this is definitely how I feel in this moment. Right, right. Interesting. I love that. What are some things that you've seen like that have been adapted mm-hmm. that you were like, I would love to a shot at that. Can you think of anything like that? Like to redo someone's thing? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Or something that's just out in the world that you know and you love that you were like, I wish that I would was born 50 years ago so I could have been a part, you know, it doesn't have to be like a redo, but just things yeah. that excite you. Well, I don't know about 50, but another book that really, um, a book and a movie that really hit me was City of God. Mm. Um, I didn't know that was a book. Yeah, it was a book. I didn't know that. That's like in Brazil? Yeah. Oh, such it's a in good Brazil. movie. It's told over three decades. It's mm. kind of in these um, three parts, and you know, it's 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 basically for me seeing these like these youth grow up in this environment in which they are they they basically don't know anything else, mm-hmm. you know, outside of what their world is, and they just become consumed with with their environment as one becomes, you know, right, where sure. you are. And yet the way that the story is told, because they're in the favelas in Brazil, like it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a hard living. And yet there's so much whimsy in that story. There's yeah. so much excitement. And I think seeing and experiencing something like that is like, oh yeah, of course. Like we can look from an outside view and look at the favelas and be mm-hmm. like, oh God, these people are fucking in a horrible situation. But there's like so much life and culture and um, and joy that's happening in in these crazy times, and so uh, something like that would be amazing. Really cool. Okay, well, oh, I know what I want to ask you about, yeah. and you know, just as a fangirl, the Star of Gronish just mm-hmm. happens to be like a super duper reader. Yeah. Do you guys ever do you get to like talk to her about books at all or no? Yeah, we actually did. There was one day where she came into the room and she mentioned two books. Um, that she was reading. One was Giovanni's Room. Mm, which you love. Which I loved, yeah. Which and, we did on the show. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's a she's a huge James Baldwin fan. Right. I mean, she, I think at one point she said that she, if she want, if she would have a husband right now, it would be James Baldwin. Not going to be a very good relationship necessarily. No, Might have different wants tough, and needs, but, but that's okay. I see okay. where she's coming from. Yeah, sure. Um, and the other book that she was currently reading that I've read is called Shantaram. 
Oh, I've never read that. You've read it? I've read it. It's like a major book. Yeah, it's this, you know, it's this epic page turner. It's about uh, an Australian guy who breaks out of prison and smuggles himself into India. And that's where the that's where the book starts. Okay, And he has this incredible journey as, you know, a doctor in the slums. Then he gets involved with some like, you know, underlord, (laughs) underground type things. And basically it's this incredible page turner, but has these stunning passages on like good and evil and love and all those kind of things. So it is a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a white dude in India. So it's another one of those kind of books. Right. But But it was written a long time ago. Isn't it funny to think of like how many books are in the world that are famous or classics that you're like, this could never be written now. Yeah. Like, there's, there's just no oh, way. Oh, I don't think about that. I don't, oh, my God, I, I do so much. Like, wh- Why do you think it can't be? I just think, like, and maybe not that it can't be, that, but that the way that it would be received would be really different because it's like oh, a white right. dude. Like, I see. White dude goes to – it's like, oh, all of a sudden we're talking about something different. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we talk about classics a lot on this show and how many classics are written by white people right. and how many books that were written by people of color – or women to an extent aren't considered classics, even though they've stood the test of time and all Mm. that stuff. Right. Like people, I mean like James Baldwin, for example, like were you taught that in school? No. Right. But like, that's a classic. Like he's a modern classic. Yeah. Like he's, you know, I feel like I was even kind of misguided on, on James Baldwin when I was younger, because he was always taught to me as this, like, you know, almost like impenetrable intellect Mm. that, I wouldn't understand or something, you know, oh, interesting. even going to like elite schools, it was always like, oh, that's going to be boring. And then it yeah. wasn't until recently that I was started reading his novels. And I was like, these are incredible. Right. These right. are so fun to read. I can eat these up in a day. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. So like the just the way that books that have stood the test of time, like when you actually analyze them, you're like, wait a second, this book comes out now. There's no way. That you know, that would work. That it yeah. would work. Yeah, no, it's true. And or that we would care about that. Like, I don't really care about a white guy going to India. Totally. And I, I mean, I do think that in Shantaram, it's one of those things where, like, he's saved by India as opposed okay, to the saving other way India, around. even okay. though he's doing some of that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is such an in- interesting conversation because it's like, can our climate, like, because that's in a way a, a version of, like, not pushing ourselves to the edge, right? Right. Like if we're not going to look at those stories anymore, it's just something that is, right. I don't know. Not that we don't look at them anymore, but just those aren't the stories that are being written. Right. Right. Like it's like, cause maybe there might be a lot of value in the, in the same kinds of information, but maybe it's a book written by a person from India about right. India. No, 100%. You, you know? 100%. Like, it's like, do we need the blind side? Like, do we, <laughs> we need do Sandra not. Bullock's we perspective? Did. We never needed that. No, we certainly didn't. Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff, you know, that yeah. would have happened. Like, which, which, I, which is why I think, like, something like Roots was mm-hmm. really seminal because it was written by a black person. And, like, so many stories of slavery were written by white people. And it's like, all of a sudden you have this other perspective. And it's not that we're not looking at the history. It's just that we're looking at it from a different from a different point. way and you're yeah. like wow totally. i've learned something today yeah. and that's the thing with green book right i mean right. we won't get into that but i haven't seen it yeah. have you we should yeah i've seen it i've seen it and i have thoughts on it but i've also had conversations with people black people who are like i love this movie really yeah because i've heard not only is it like 
the politics are a little questionable and like the making of it, but also that it's just like kind of boring. That it's kind of boring? Like that the movie's actually not that good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's popcorn, you know, it's bubblegum right. for the most part. But like there's some really good stuff in it and the feel good aspect of that movie does what I think it wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. in that sense, I think the that's the reason why it's successful right now, right. at least in, you know, critically. But there's there's probably more to unpack in that than we have right now. Okay, we won't do it, but I, I'm open to doing it if you wanted to. Well, we to. have to do it after you see it. Do I have to see it? I wasn't planning on it. You weren't going to see it? No, I just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, th- I saw the preview. He teaches him how to eat fried chicken. I had totally. to go. Like no, I had, like I literally I was like, I have wanted- to go. Yes. Like yes. I don't have time for this. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I think the people that I was getting in a conversation with about it were people who related to Don Shirley. Okay. And so even though we weren't given as much information about this guy's life, they were like happy that a piece of this story was being told. Okay. And they understood that this wasn't from Don Shirley's perspective. This was from the white guy's perspective. Right. Right. And so not all movies have to be told in the way that we're talking about. Right. right? Like that's like how far do we go with the kind of censorship or political correction mm-hmm. that we need to make. Right. And so it's just one of those one of those conversations that I've been having with myself recently that it's like yes, we have to keep going in this direction, but I also don't want to stop us from looking over the edge of whatever it is that we want to be doing. Right. You know. So here's my question about Green Book and the story and whatever. You've seen it and this is this is this is for a different podcast called Not the Stacks. It's called the real, all about film, but whatever. Yes. How come Mahershala is nominated for supporting? Because my understanding is that they are pretty equal in the film. Mm-hmm. And there are movies where you can have two people of the same gender nominated in the same category. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that, like, supporting, there's two women in the favorite. It's not equal. It's not equal. It's not okay. equal. It's his story. It is. Okay. And, that, and that's what I keep coming back to because it's like – you know, from afar, it kind of looks like a two-hander, especially because right. the way that they want to sell this movie is like, this is Mahershala, right. one, of, one of our greats right now, who's doing this interesting character study right. with Vigo. But it's not a two-hander. There's so much that we don't get to know about that character, which is what's fucked up. Because it's like, right. this is the dude who's going on the tour. The right. other motherfucker's the driver. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. But, but, it, <laughs> but it's like, it's his story. Like, we're watching... His growth. It's another one of those things where I do think in this case, there's a strong argument to be made that he saves the white dude as opposed to the white dude saving the black guy. Sure. And and then the question is like, without having seen the movie – why does he have to save this guy? No, like, why he can't doesn't. this guy save his fucking self? Like, hundred percent. Like, why? I, that's the shit. I mean, honestly, this is going to become a whole conversation about just racism and whatever. But it's like the onus is always put on the other yeah. to do all the work. It's like you guys have all the resources. Like, you're working half as hard as everybody else. You only have one job. Like, can, can you read a book? No, I mean, you- there's some crazy shit in this movie. Okay. I don't like- want to see it. I just am not in. I mean, I'm also just not interested in the movie in general. Like, I don't. It's not something that I care about. I also think it's weird that they're trying to make it like driving Miss Daisy, but with two men in reverse. I'm I mean, like, that was the pitch. Right. You know that was the Right. Pitch. Of course it was. Yeah. I saw the poster and I was like, what is this weird driving Miss Daisy bullshit? But that's what I think is so 
interesting in terms of watching it right now. Right. Because you're like, God, this is like, how did this get all the way here? This shit might win Best Picture. I know, which is terrifying. This might win but Best Picture. But this is Crash. This is Crash, yes. It's that same kind right. of thing. Like Crash was up against Brokeback Mountain. And the thing that Green Book has going for it is that it's not actually up against anything. Right. Like there is, like Brokeback Mountain was objectively a great film. Yeah. And so that was like a huge upset and also terrible politics on the Crash side. This is just like, these politics are questionable and this year was mediocre at best. Yeah. But I think I mean, that, I loved Roma. I thought that was. Well, right. Best. I know people, I haven't seen that either. But yeah. like, I also know that like a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community have a lot of problems with Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah. And I think that as someone who's not in that community, but I think my understanding is that it's the same kind of thing. It's like, oh, we're telling this story about, you know, homosexuality, but there's like a lot of self-loathing in it. And there's like right. a lot, like, and that we're, that Hollywood is trying to tell these stories without actually doing the work to tell these stories. And like, maybe there is something important about Green Book, but from my understanding, the way that it's done, they kind of avoid doing any of that work. You're dead right. That's exactly what it is. It's that people want to tell these stories because they are what's hot right now, right. basically. You know, right. diversity is hot. Right. And yet they don't have the sensitivity or the knowledge. Or the to, team. Or the team to <laughs> the do people. Justice. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just frustrating. Yeah. No, and especially thinking like, a, was it two years ago that was Moonlight? Yeah. Like that we had gotten to that place where like a movie like Moonlight could be its own best thing picture. and be the best picture and be about blackness without really a relationship to whiteness and that that could stand on its own. And now here we are with reverse driving yeah. Miss Daisy plus two guys instead of a lady. Like you've also taken the lady out. Like it's just like, so no, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you know, this is nominally a show about books, but really it's actually a show just about racism. If we're being honest, yeah, I mean, because <laughs> my whole life is a life about being racist. About well, racism. That's the life that we, that's all the live life in. that we live. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about books. Two books you love and one book you hate. Two books I love, right. Okay, so I'm just going with recent books right now. Okay. I would say Another Country okay. is a book that That's I, not a recent book. Books that you've no, recently read. recently read. Okay. Recently read, sorry. Another Country <laughs> Another Country and New People okay. are two books that I love for various reasons. I didn't have a book that I hate, to be honest, because once I start hating a book, I fucking stop. Like, What's um, the last book you stopped? Oh, the last book that I stopped, and it's not fair for me to say that I hated, but was A Little Life. Oh. It was just not something I could get into. I was like yeah. trying to get past whatever it was. I don't know if it was a hype situation yeah. or if it was just like, I'm not really into these dudes. Right. I just, I was, I was off it, which I know yeah. is a super unpopular opinion. And I haven't even read it, so I can't talk no, about it. No, the book has, it has a lot of hype and it doesn't really get... Because, like, the hype around the book is, like, you're going to cry. Like, basically, that it's really good. You're going to cry. Exactly. But none of that comes in until you're already 400 pages in, basically. So yeah. it's kind of like if you can't – if the anticipation about being sad isn't, like, exciting to you, it's kind of like I no, can understand that. No, it was that. so excited to me that I right. opened the book and I was like, I'm ready. And then there were no tears. Literally, I kept texting my friends who recommended it being like, I know it's going to be sad, but I'm on page 450 and I'm not sad. So I must be a G. Yeah. So you're fine. Uh, and then I cried in a bathtub for hours in Thailand. So really? it's fine. It okay. does get sad. It does. It right, does. Well, I have to get that. I like crying. I don't know. It, it wasn't worth it for me, but I did cry. What's the last great book you read? The last great book I read. I mean, I think I probably have to go with Another Country. That right. was the last great book I read. That's his first, right? 
That's his second. His second. His his first is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Oh no, then his second is Giovanni's room. You're right. You're right. His okay. second is Giovanni's room. Go Tell It on the Mountain was first. Yeah. Then Giovanni's room, I think, was like in you know soon thereafter. Yeah, and it was like fuck you guys. Yeah. I don't want to write about what you want me to write about. Right. And then another country was his was the third. And right. I guess is considered his masterpiece, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean. God, it's so good. The interweaving of those characters, the way he shifts the protagonist from one character to another, um, you know, and also part of the reason why I really love him and feel like it's so current is just the way he writes about masculinity. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he flips over into, oh, there are these fluid men, sexuality, mm-hmm. but even just the the types of men that he is writing about are just Guys that we need, you know, they're right. they're flawed, but they are, um, I don't know, they just have this quality that's like, oh, this is something that can help us as opposed to like this like masculine, like I'm going to fucking conquer the world type shit that we see all the time everywhere. Have, did you read Beale Street? I started it and then I just went and saw the movie. The thing that's interesting about what you said about masculinity is I felt like in Beale Street, he did a really good job of tapping into like what it means to be a young woman mm. in a way that I have not seen very many male authors be able to do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that he's found there's something about the way that he talks about humanity in general that allows him into people without necessarily I don't even know what I'm trying to say he just does a really good job of writing from the perspective of Tish which is like she's like a teenage girl right who's on the brink of I guess womanhood right she's like 1920 or something Mm -hmm. and he makes her feel super real yeah he he was a master yeah he's really good and his nonfiction is really good yeah like his essays just I mean a great mind for sure I wonder I mean I know people compare him with Ta-Nehisi Coates all the time but I wonder when or if Ta-Nehisi will do fiction right yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, you know, seeing seeing him speak and read Tanahasi and 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 reading his things, I mean, they do feel like he has the the same understanding of the world. You know, like mm-hmm. in order to get to that place, you have to be able to live in different spaces mm-hmm. and really live in different spaces and and have those experiences inside you in order to get into the psyche of those characters. Right. And so you know, I think that at least from his background and from the little writing I've read of his, he seems like he has that same. Yeah. Makeup. Yeah. He's great. What are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading Art of the Heist. Oh, right. You which that. is this guy, Miles Connor, um, this this dude from Boston who was arguably one of our greatest art thieves. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of revolves around the Gardner Museum, which is basically the greatest. Well, I keep saying greatest, but it's it's a fucked up situation because oh. <laughs> they well, because like five hundred million dollars was robbed in, in art like a Vermeer, a Rembrandt and like 10 other like culturally irreplaceable works of art. Um, and so, yeah, I've just kind of been getting deeper into the world of art heists. And what are some of the things you're looking forward to reading? I, I honestly like things just kind of come as they come. I don't really, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to reading that book because <laughs> I haven't read it yet. The Art of the Heist? Yeah. Oh, okay. I I'm see. looking forward to reading that book. I see. And you just pick your books based on how they appear in your life and what you're in the mood for. It it's very happened. much like that. I mean, 
sometimes I, I mean, sometimes it's like, what am I, what am I working on? So what am I researching? But a lot of times, like I get recommendations from my brother who's a super avid reader. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I mean, I like to do a lot of things like that in life where it's just right. sort of like, Oh, what's coming into my life now? Right. What's the last really good book that your brother or anybody recommended to you? I mean, Jesse recommended both Another Country and New People. Oh, he did? Yeah. And what's a book that you, in turn, like to recommend to others? I really, I, I love recommending Sean Taram, although not everyone finishes it. Because it. <laughs> it's like a thousand pages. It's super long. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to have the time to be able to like. Is it readable? It's a total page turner. Okay. Yeah. Like the language is accessible. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Because sometimes like those books, it's like. It's hard to read because you're like, what are they saying? No, for me, it was it was that great combination of like, I feel like I'm getting insight into life. Right. And also this is an epic page turn. Right. Um, but I really like recommending Just Kids. Mm. Um, Patty Smith's book. I've never read that still. That book for artists is I've heard. incredible. I've heard when I mean, Sam Pinkleton was on, he talked about it. Yeah. I mean, her and Robert Maplethorpe's relationship and just the way she talks about coming into her own, mm. coupled with who she was around right. in that time in the 60s, right. you know, in the Greenwich Hotel is just like, it's 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 a must read. Okay. That's good to hear. How do you organize your books? Subject. Yeah. I organize by subject. So I'll have like, you know, African-American studies black shit yeah there you go <laughs> um i'll have then i'll have like plays kind of like how-to books sure. you know um and then and then like novels will just kind of go together yeah like yeah just appear in yeah, stacks exactly. around the house just however it is and how do you like to read like what's your ideal reading setup I mean, just like I write, it really will happen anywhere, mostly in my house. Yes. Where it's just like, it could be in bed, it could be on the couch, it could be on the floor, it could be in the kitchen. Do you like, have snacks? Do you have drinks? Do you have blankies? I think once I'm like really into it, like I'm not even drinking water. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, just like just fully. going. So you'll read a book in like two or three days and then just like devour it. Once it happens, I can't stop. Got it. And so I'm just reading it every, every little moment I can. Interesting. And are there genres that you really love or that you try to avoid or that you're just not that into? No, because like I said, the process is so kind of willy nilly for me that I really am just reading whatever it is. Yeah. No, there's not things that I'm like, no, I definitely don't want to read that just by genre because I feel like you can get something great in any genre. Right. And there's so like, you know, there's so much nuance yeah. under every genre. Yeah. I always say that. I'm like, there's a lot of genres that I don't gravitate towards, but if it's a really good book, it doesn't really matter at all. The genre at all. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's good. Like yeah. that's it. Period. Do you have any favorite plays or playwrights since you're an actor? And I know you studied theater. I love Martin McDonough plays. Okay. Um, I think that every actor that I've had on this show that I've asked that question to that has been male has said Martin McDonough. Really? You're the third now. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. All three of you. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, Pillow Man is fucking amazing. When I saw Pillow Man, it was my freshman year of college and I it was with my mom and it was like that first week of school and she dropped me off. And I think I just sat in that theater with my mouth open like, yeah. oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. It's just because it's horrifying and hilarious at the same time. It's just very satisfying in right. that sense. Like, 
And I think, and, and, you know, and the undercurrent is always something extremely political. Yeah. Like, like fuck all this shit that's happening right, right. now. Like, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to deal with this and I'm going to buck the system. And he right. does it in this very unconventional way that, um, that draws you in. It's like the perfect kind of entertainment. Hearing you say that, I am thinking about, so next week we're talking about Friday Black uh-huh. and there's a lot of similar similarities in the way that Friday Black is written totally. to the stuff that Mark McDonough does. Cause yeah. like some of his stuff, McDonough stuff is like very small human to human stories. And then some of it is like weird world building stuff. And I feel like that's in those stories. You're so right. Right. Like, and yeah. I don't know if anybody would ever be like, Oh, you know, who's just like Nana Kwame. That's such a great, you comparison. know, versus like <laughs> Martin McDonough. But there is something in that, like, it's like gen- uh, genre bending also like a little magical Slightly realism, dystopian. a little sci-fi. Yeah, no, it's, it's such yeah. a great comparison actually. That's- I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> what about? That's why. Yeah. yeah. No, go. I was just saying maybe that's why I love it so much. Yeah, maybe. It's like there's not a lot of novels I feel that I've read that fit in that same kind of thing that McDonough does. But this book, the stories, some of them kind of float in that world. Yeah. And it's graphic, like because they, it mm. doesn't hold back at all from what could happen in right and what does happen in our world and right so they lean into it into in this other world right right it's like they take it further yeah what about um scripts or screenwriters that you really love god there's so many i mean it's hard because i'm i'm usually when it comes to films like writer directors are mm-hmm. the ones that i really gravitate towards and like reading a paul thomas anderson reading a barry jenkins mm. screenplay um, reading a Coen Brothers screenplay, sure. it's it's really fascinating to me because they write them more like roadmaps to themselves, right? And yet the dialogue and the way that the the plot is moving along is just so riveting, right? And is that I don't know a ton about TV writing, but I guess that's very different than how things are written for TV. Yeah, like in a movie, you might have one or two writers, and for TV, it's like a room full of people. Yes, much more collaborative. I mean, they are doing more, especially on like comedies. Mm-hmm. They're doing more rooms so that people can contribute jokes and ideas. And like, you know, you might even bring someone in to do an action pass or something like that. What is now, that? Like if it's an action movie okay. and they're not super happy, the studio is not really excited about the way that the action sequences are feeling right now. Mm. They'll bring a writer that they know is really good at action. I see. And they'll have him do a pass. And maybe that will be part of, you know, their writer's room that I they see. have going on for I this see. one particular script. So like in a writer's room, like for a show like Grownish, since that's where you work, so you'll know more than, and I'm sure it's different in every room. How much writing does each writer do on the show like is it episode by episode is it like the whole thing so it's highly collaborative okay um the way that it works is that so particularly on our show we have one showrunner okay. but we have three eps and they kind of all act as a showrunner together okay. and i think julie bean who's our showrunner would definitely say that you know without the two of them she mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to do what she does i see when we first came in there they had like two big ideas for the first half and the second half of the season they had who am i for the first season mm-hmm. and why am i here oh and so like really big ideas that's pretty much Got what it. they knew i mean we knew it was sophomore year of college 
And we knew like a couple of the relationship things, like in terms of more or less what was going to happen with Zoe. And so besides that, we came in and for the first two weeks, it was just talking about what's been going on in the world, you know, and how does that compare to what college kids are going through in the world? Right. And then you guys like flush it out. And then we just get more and more specific with it. And so then we'll basically what happens is we do this process called microboarding where um, we write the entire episode, like very detailed outline all over the whiteboards and and everybody kind of contributes, but whoever's writing that episode sort of leads that process. And then they, they go off and put that all in an outline form. That's like about, you know, eight pages. And then once that gets approved, the one writer will go off and write the 30 page script from that eight page outline. I see. So like, and and that's different than a movie. Cause that might be a movie might be one to four people or something in the room, kind of like writing it all together at once. Yeah. And, as and, opposed to like rotating and spitballing and sharing and yeah, exactly. Cause the thing is, is like once, once the writer's draft is done in, mm-hmm. in TV, you bring it in and then you kind of rewrite as a room. I see. So you, whatever fixes you have, whatever joke pitches you have specifically in the comedy room, I can't, I haven't been in a drama room. Um, yeah, but that's how that works for a screenplay. It's usually one or two people right it's their idea they'll spend however many months researching and writing so they go off and they write the draft and then you know you might give it to your producers and then they'll have notes and that same person will go off and execute those notes or someone else will get brought onto that script depending on who owns it. okay i see yeah it's just interesting to think like you think like you know you know shonda rhimes writes the show and it's like yeah it's her and like 50 other people you know like but you don't ever think about all those other people who are how are input like how much input and I guess you need more people because you're writing more content yeah and I think the medium of television and film is a collaborative medium in sure the end. of like course everybody engages right. with the material and with the final product to right. a certain degree um, but yeah just like anything you yeah. need someone who kind of has a vision and is right. directing the but like vision. you couldn't expect her to write 13 years of 22 episodes of Grey's Anatomy like you would run out so yeah. you need like because TV has such long has the potential for such longevity a show whereas like a movie it's two or three hours like yeah. a play it's two or three hours totally if it's a good play it's only ninety minutes there just it saying <laughs> no it's true <laughs> well and I think something that's also really interesting that I've learned about it is like yes you do need people and 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 one of the most interesting things is that when you have your vision hopefully you can do it with almost whoever, right? you know, as long as you have people that make you feel comfortable. And that's not yes people, but right. those are people that embolden you, that, right. that jive with you and that make you feel like you're in the right, right direction. Because it's easy to have people that you feel like, oh, you're making me second guess myself. And mm-hmm. they could be the smartest person in the room. But if they're not helping you with your vision, then they're going to derail what's happening. Right. We're going to go back to books because I obviously got sidetracked. What's the last book that made you laugh? The last book, I mean, I, I really have to keep going back to new people. This shit, yeah. like, it was, 
It, it was everything I needed in a book. Yeah. It's interesting because you really loved that book and I liked it, but for totally different reasons. Like I basically mm-hmm. liked it because she talked about Jonestown. Right. Like that was literally, like I was like, this book is interesting. Like there's some crazy shit. And I was like, Maria, girl, you tripping. But mostly I was just in it for the way that she incorporated Jonestown yeah. as my passion in life. Yeah. And I loved it because I thought she created a character that did what people may think about doing, but never actually do. Right. Like it's kind of a fantasy. Totally. Like lived out weird fantasy. Yeah. And, and I, and I have a hard time believing that other people in the world are not like, what would happen if I did this right now? Like, it's one of those situations where it's like, if you're in a public place and you're like, I'm going to scream and see what happens. I don't know that everybody has that um, instinct like I do, like, and not (laughs) scream, but like just shit like that to be like, you know, like in New York, like getting drunk and being in a bodega, like I would just want to throw a bag of chips across the bodega right. just to see what would happen. Right. Like there's just things. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last book that made you cry? The last book that made me cry would probably be. Oh, I don't think I have an answer for that. What think... about the last book that made you angry? I don't know if I have an answer for that either. I mean, maybe like I might be going back to another country for both of those books. Sure. Actually, another country. Yeah, there's something that happens in the first 80 pages of that book that is fucking devastating and, mm. and angering at the same time. Okay. Are there any books that you've read where you feel super proud that you read them? Long Walk to Freedom. Okay. Malcolm X. Mm. I think both of those books, those Freedom Fighter books are, mm-hmm. are like must reads and uh and i've read them so uh, feeling good about that yeah those are good ones i've read them <laughs> well i maybe didn't finish nelson mandela's oh see i read it for school it was assigned for me in school yeah, so i feel like i didn't quite read it all i know i read sections it's I such an interesting it. question i mean like what what book would you be proud to say you i don't know well like i'm proud to have read i read executioner song last year oh, and yeah. it's like 1100 pages so just on length like sticking with it right sure um but as far as content i don't know mm-hmm. i just am in general like proud to read Every time you put a book inside you, you're like, yeah, I'm oh, like, I did proud. that. Even when I don't like the book, I'm like, I finished that shit and it yeah. was bogus. Yeah. Or like I learned a lot. And so I'm happy to have done that. But as far as like my sense of like pride, I think it comes from reading things that are less desirable by other people's standards. So like something long or some like, like I like to read Shakespeare and I'm like kind of proud of that. Cause like, I know a lot of people don't. You should be proud of that. I like Shakespeare. Yeah. I just reread Romeo and Juliet and it's so good. So, and when you're reading that, are you, is it, you're computing like as you're going? Yeah. Sometimes I'm reading it out loud. Has it always been like that for you? Or do you feel like you've developed that skill? I, reading Shakespeare, I have had to work on really hard. Uh-huh. And sometimes when I get confused, I'll go back and I'll read it out loud. Right. And like, you know, I'll look at the notes and I'll look things up. So it doesn't always flow easily. Mm-hmm. But rereading like something like Romeo and Juliet, where I know the story and I know right. so much of the text and like I know so many of the references. It's like candy. It's like yeah. so good. Yeah. No, it's um, crazy. And then some of them are easy reads. Like I just read Titus Andronicus a few months ago and it was like, it was like, but like I did, I barely looked at the notes. Like I was never confused. Oh, crazy! And then some of them, I'm like, like the Henry fours and fives. I'm like, I have no fucking clue who they're talking about. Like happening. I don't get this. I'm not connected. Yeah, I read Julius Caesar recently, and that was like a total page turner. Yeah, so it just depends. Uh, what about books you're embarrassed that you've never read? 
Um, I mean, that would there's so many books. Right. Like, there's so many books that I haven't read. Right. But like, I think of um, you know, like a Grapes of Wrath or sure. something like that. Like very like iconic Americana books that are like, oh, I, you you should have read that. Or or even Americana, which is not of right. that, but I haven't read. Oh, Americana. that's good. You'll like it. Yeah, it's totally something you'll like. But but I would say mostly like from the kind of classical uh, canon right yeah me too like i've never read any of the russians right exactly. and i feel like that's something that i should do and like i've totally. never read beloved so that's what i'm a little embarrassed about totally yeah but i have some of those also yeah what about books that you're embarrassed that you have read uh twilight most common answer really i think so last week someone said twilight people's <laughs> i mine is always um 50 shades of gray because oh, yeah. i read them all yeah. and like i was into them yeah, I but mean, like they're garbage. Well, that's the <laughs> that's thing. Fine. It's like any one of those books are, you know, they're well written. You know, mm. like you're. You See, I think they're terribly written, but the plot is so compelling. Sure. But like the writing is like how five year olds talk. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I know. But like, but if you can get, you know, a 30 year old woman yeah. to want to read like, and a five year old's telling them the yeah, story. Exactly. Like then you've, you've definitely, there's done something job. compelling there, even though the it's not, you know, the writing. The, yeah. The writing is sure. no good. Sure. The sentence. Yeah. The vocabulary minimal. Um, do you have any favorite books from childhood? The giver. Yes. Love. What about a book you'd assign in school? If you were a teacher, I think I would probably assign Malcolm X. Yeah. I had a teacher who did that. I didn't read it then. The autobiography of Malcolm X is just, I mean, just on a, from a story standpoint Mm -hmm. is one of the most incredible, but it's also the most fascinating lesson in tolerance, Mm -hmm. you know, and to come to that place Mm -hmm. from being so hard headed or whatever, you know, I think like we all have that place where we feel like rigid in our thinking Mm -hmm. and to see someone of his acclaim for what what he's accomplished, what he means to us, right? You know, as a people, to to see that he he changed his mind, right, about things, right. And that is such an important lesson to learn right. because hard headedness is right. what fucks us, right, right. And so to see Malcolm X, this dude who's known for his militancy and all that, came to this place of like love and acceptance yeah. and and was possibly murdered for it is like that's right that's what we we all need right and talking about him and then you think about like martin luther king which is the same thing but opposite like yeah. as he aged he grew more towards militancy mm-hmm. and that there's like this growth that they both were able to have exactly that either direction yeah that that so many people never develop right like that it's like you never can admit that you were wrong or maybe just not wrong maybe incomplete your thinking was incomplete or you know lacked nuance or whatever it is yeah this sense of arriving is right useless right because like everything around us is changing we're always changing right so to to think that you've ever arrived is totally death right and 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 you want to have these um inspirational stories that make you realize it's okay to continue changing. It's okay to continue evolving and that it's necessary. Right. And there's something almost that people turn that into something negative. Like I think I'm thinking about Barack Obama and Mm. he had a, not a great inclusive stance on marriage when he was first running for president. And he, you know, said marriage is between a man and a woman. And he 
obviously changed his point of view on that and learned and grew on that. And so many people tried to use that against him. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he's just doing it for political whatever. But it's like, well, or maybe in the eight years he was president, he learned some shit. He met some people and learned some shit and was open to making a change and like as all these candidates are coming out for 2020 i've heard that same criticism of kristen gillibrand that she's Mm. changed a lot of her points of view for political expediency when i just also think like maybe her opinions on guns has changed in the last 10 years because i have to imagine a lot of people's have right and that we don't allow people space for that change for those changes yeah no that's so true we, we, yeah, that's, that's great. That not only for the people that are changing, but for those who are seeing people right, change to right. give them the space to right. do that. Right. Like it's like our political yeah. leaders aren't allowed that space, even mm. though like I can say for myself, I've definitely grown a lot in the last 10 years when it comes to like trans rights right? or like just even understanding or willingness to understand right. or willingness to accept, you know, and like. But if a politician had the same transformation, I would be like, oh, they're just doing that for because right. they want to they, get votes. Flip flop. Right. It's like, well, or it's been 10 years and like, please, you've got to change. Because right. those who don't change are just so archaic. Like there's so many politicians who are so terrible on so many social issues because they are unwilling or unable to change or they think that it will be bad for them politically. Right. Like they don't want to be seen as a flip flop. Yeah. And they don't want to abandon their base or whatever. Right. Or the people that aren't changing. Right. What's a book? where you felt like you weren't necessarily represented, but that you was really connect, you really connected with. I mean, I think that's 99% of the books that I connected with. Right. You know, I don't think there, it really wasn't until, I mean, I think maybe in like invisible man, Ralph Ellison's book, Mm -hmm. but like not really until reading Danzy Senna. And I guess before that, um, color of water, James McBride, so those are ones where you did feel you were reflected, but aside from those, basically never. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was very, very hard for me to really be like, that's me. Right. It was very like, I didn't find that shit anywhere, but obviously there were tons and tons of books that I connected yeah. with. Right. Yeah. I just, I always think about that because I, you so often hear people who come from, you know, places of privilege where there's so many stories about them. Yeah. So whether you are a majority in the country in which you live or you're a white person here or whatever it is that it's like, Oh, well I don't read Toni Morrison cause I don't connect. And it's like, imagine if I had, if I only read things that I could see myself reflected and like, yeah. there's so many things that have been powerful in my life that I'm like, this is about a redheaded boy in Kentucky. Totally. Like, yeah. No. And it's cause that is the interesting question. Like there's a difference between connecting and being reflected back. Right. Because we don't have to see ourselves necessarily to have a connection to it. Right. right? That's the whole point of like, if you can make something that's very personal, then it will probably be resonant with a large group of people. Right. And that there's things that you resonate with and like maybe that part of you is connected. Like I read Kiese Lehman's book, Heavy, Mm -hmm. and he's a black guy, grew up in Mississippi, and it's about his life and his body and his writing and his – it's like – it's really – it's masterful. Mm. But – the only real connection that he and I have is that we're black, but I really could connect with it because he was so open and vulnerable. But so I was reflected in that little part of him, but it wasn't really my story at all. Like right. we had so little overlap. So I think when it's good, it's well done, then you do find you find ways to be like, oh, that's me. That's me. I would like to be part of this. Totally. Okay. Here's my last one for you. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? I mean, I wanted to come up with something funny or more clever, but I honestly think it would be autobiography of Malcolm X. Also. Sure. 
Sure. Just the conversation that we've been talking about, about changing, being like, bro, it's okay to fucking, you know. Back like, down on this fucking wall. Yeah, man. Truly. It's crazy. Well, they just opened the government again. Oh, they did? They did today. I missed it. <laughs> it happened like right when I was pulling up. I was oh. listening to him speak. I don't know what terms they landed on. But. So people listening to this now, we recorded this at the end of January, the yeah. day the government opened. So when you hear this, I'm sure there will be like basically a month's worth of or like three weeks worth of information that's changed. But yes. but this was the day it all happened, people. Oh, my God. I can't wait to go read the news when you leave. OK, <laughs> <laughs> well, Wade, thank you so much for being here next week. Wade and I are going to talk about Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. And if you haven't read the book yet, I suggest that you read it. It's a short story collection and we will have spoilers next week because there's a lot in the book and we're going to talk all about it. So check that out, read that. And Wade, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. This was great. And we'll see you guys in the stacks. All right, you guys, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Wade Elaine Marcus for joining us on the show. He'll be back next Wednesday to discuss Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website at thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access for this show, like perks and the book club and more, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. For one-time contributions, you can go to paypal.me slash The Stacks Pod. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 